Just one other announcement before we get into everything. Uh, some of you know who AJ is, some of you don't, but uh, AJ Griffin has been with us for the past three years, uh, working diligently. I think he's probably in the back uh, working the sound right now. But uh, this is AJ's last Sunday with us. Uh, he received a promotion. He's uh, headed to Greenfield. Uh, he works for Fairway uh, Stores, so he's going to be taking an assistant manager position in the meat department at Fairway. So we'll miss him greatly. Uh, we're praying that this is a more of a see you later than it is a goodbye. So we're uh, hopeful for that. So if you get a <clears throat> chance to see AJ later, uh, you can uh, please say thanks and appreciation for all he's done and everything. So that's what we got going. I'm going to uh, get things kicked off here because we have a couple of families who are celebrating uh, the birth of children. And we had uh, seven baby boys born in the congregation in 2020. And so uh, we've had one uh, that I know of, a uh, couple, yeah, so we had those boys born and then Little Lydia came along here just not too long ago. So I'm going to welcome, if uh, in a moment, I'm going to welcome the families up, and we're going to see the, see the babies. I know that's what you're all waiting for, but I just want to make a couple of announcements here. Uh, first of all, the, this parent-baby dedication is, means that the parents are committing and coming before this congregation, first of all, to celebrate the birth of, of their children, okay? Psalm 127 uh, verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Verse 4, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one, in, in one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing. So they're celebrating. They're also uh, doing something that they're coming alongside and saying, We're committing ourselves as parents to raise these children in the ways of the Lord. We want to raise them up uh, to know and fear and love and serve Jesus, okay? And they're also doing it publicly because they're wanting to call us to help them, okay? To pray for them, to support them, to encourage them, and to, to hold them, you know, responsible for the commitments that they're making before the Lord and before this congregation. And so without uh, further ado, I'll ask uh, uh, Eric and Anj and Dr. Bradley and Emily, if they'll come on up here. So, yeah, yeah, come on up here. And this will be a little bit of chaos maybe if we have more than, more than a few children up here. But that's good. It's all good. Because I have a couple of things. Uh, and while they're coming, I'll just say our, our obligation as a congregation is just to really encourage and support them, okay? And, uh, and, and love them and speak the truth in love. You guys can, you guys can stand up here. Or you can go on this side if you want, and we'll, uh, I'll, because I'm going to back up and, and just say a few things to, yeah, that's great. Little Lydia. You can say hi. Well, they don't, they want to see Lydia. They want to see her. Yeah. And Matthias. Matthias is feeling a little bit cheated now because uh, he has <clears throat> competition at home. All right. So I got a couple things I want to say to the, to the dads, first of all. Uh, fathers, Dr. Bradley and Eric, uh, you are the shepherds of your home, okay? And so as shepherds, you're called to be the, the leaders. Uh, a few things you need to do is you need to protect these little ones, okay? 
It's your responsibility to protect them. Protect them physically, but also protect them from the the ravaging wolves of the enemy, Satan, who's trying to sway them and their influence in a a different direction. So I'm going to call you to protect your kids and to view and encourage them in godliness, all right? And not only do you need to protect your kids, but you also need to provide for them. And I'm not just talking about food and clothing. Yeah, you need to provide food and clothing, but you also are called to provide them spiritual encouragement. And provide for their physical, intellectual, moral, social development. Okay? Yeah. Hi, Nick. Yeah, hi, buddy. Yeah. And then finally, uh, you're called to to point the way. Uh, To point the way to the Lord, you know. Children are a gift, but you're called to point the way, as uh, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy, uh, to instruct them and to teach them in the ways of the Lord. When you sit down and when you, when you rise up, when you walk along, along the way and when you lie down, all the time you're, you're communicating uh, God's truth and God's word uh, to these little precious ones. And the best way to point the way is to be an example. You know, I've worked in youth ministry, student ministry, helping with students for a long time. And we'd have those kids three, four hours a week, a lot of time outside of their home. But there's no influence that's greater than what they get at home. So dads, uh, it's, uh, it's on us to, to lead the way. And we need your help. Ladies, so uh, Emily and Anj, you come alongside and poke us and prod us and encourage us and compliment us and challenge us if we need it okay so these guys need your help and your encouragement all right okay so that's all we're gonna we're gonna talk about I just want to ask the parents a few questions Uh, they're gonna make some commitments here so I'm gonna ask Eric and Ange Dr. Bradley and Emily um, do you believe in Jesus Christ and are you trusting in his death and that alone uh, as the for the salvation of your sins if so answer yes all right uh, do you uh, commit before uh, God, and, uh, or do you promise to submit to God and His Word and closely follow Him in your personal lives with His help? And I'll say to Dr. Bradley and Emily, with regard to leading Matthias and Lydia uh, to a point in their life where they are raised in the good ways of the Lord. And if so, just say we do. All right. Eric and Ange. Hang in there, buddy. Hang in there. It's all right. Uh, do you promise to submit to the Lord and his word, following closely uh, that in your personal lives, and to uh, raise your children in the ways of the Lord, Enoch particularly, and the, other, the girls as well? If so, we do. Yes. Okay. All right. A couple more questions. One, one more question. Will each of you, and you can all say this together, will each of you pledge to raise these ones you're bringing today, which would be Enoch, for Eric and Ange, now Briella and her sister have already been up here, but also Matthias and little Lydia, um, in, uh, to raise them, to bring them to a place in their lives and that they would put their faith or their trust, that's your desire, you don't know that they're going to, your desire would be to bring them to a place where they put their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and you keep them in the ways of a uh, place of the church to be raised and encouraged and nurtured in their faith. If so, answer yes. All right. Praise God. Uh, Let's give them a hand of applause. All right. And uh, I'm going to ask if you're one of the elders today, if you would uh, make your way up front. Uh, We're going to pray for this 
these two couples. Um, and uh, I have too many papers up here. So uh, this is for Matthias and Lydia. Uh, you guys can take that. And this is for Enoch. All right. So if you would just join us, we'd like to, we'd like to pray with this, these couples. Okay. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we just uh, thank you for uh, the gift of life and the preciousness of these little ones and others that are parts of their family, the uh, part of Eric and Anja's family. And we pray for these couples, Lord, as they have come before us and before you, more importantly, saying they want to raise these little ones to know and fear and honor and love and serve you as best as they can. And I pray that you give us grace to encourage and support them in the process. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah, you guys go on and make your way down. All right. That's great. What a blessing. All right. Let's uh, try to shift gears a little bit. I would like you to, to pray with me, if you would, as we prepare to worship through the study of, of God's, God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I'm just uh, thankful for these couples and thankful for getting to know them. And I know that their hearts are set on raising these little ones to know you and fear you. And I pray you'd give them grace and strength. And I pray for each one of those little children that you would work in their hearts to draw them to yourselves. I pray that the soil of their hearts would be fertile soil, ready to hear and respond, that the seed of the Word of God would sprout, take root, grow, and bear fruit for your glory. I ask that you'd open your, our eyes, that we would behold uh, the truths from your Word that you want us to glean today that would be an encouragement to those who know Jesus, that might be a challenge to those who don't. God, help us. I need your help to open the Word of God. Help us to see it for what it is. Let it do its work in us for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Before our first trip to Haiti, my wife and I consulted with some people to get a feel for something, anything that would help us to mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually get ready for that trip because it was all new to us. It was like, whoa, we don't know uh, what, what's going to happen. And so we're kind of uh, like, uh, you know, not sure, not sure what's, what's going on. And so we uh, were like the disciples, I guess, uh, who were with Jesus, I'm sorry, yeah, kids, you're dismissed to, to Sunday school. I, I, I met, my bad there, okay? Uh, some of the kids, they know what they're doing, I don't. All right? <laughs> sorry about that. So the disciples uh, that Jesus is talking to, they're like, what do we do about this message of the kingdom? We're not, we're not, we're not sure what's going on. The new challenges of this kingdom of heaven idea. Because they thought that everybody who was an Israelite was in the kingdom. And Jesus is going, no, not true. Well, then how do you get in? I mean, what does it take to be a part of this kingdom thing? That was a little bit of a, maybe a confusion for them. How does one gain interest? And if God is reigning in Christ, in the world, over all of the world, and Jesus is the Messiah, then how come so many people are rejecting this Jesus? And if the Lord is ruling, then why is it that there is 
evil and rebellion and hypocrisy among those who are his followers even? Why is there rebellion and evil and hypocrisy in the world? If Jesus is reigning and ruling from heaven on earth, it's confusing to them. And when the gospel, you know, why, why is it that the wicked are not being punished right now? And those who are righteous prospering right now? And these are legitimate questions for them and for us. And why is it that the gospel seems, at least in many places, to not have such a great influence? It doesn't seem to be making such a great impact. In fact, those who are followers of Jesus Christ are being subjected to greater persecution and ridicule and rejection. What's that about? I don't know about you, but the days in which we've lived, in the last year for sure, all that stuff comes into my mind. It's like, what is going on? Is it really worth following Jesus when that's the case, where the gospel doesn't seem to make much influence, and we seem to be suffering and persecuted, and increasingly so? What's going on? Well, Jesus understood the struggle of his disciples, which relates to us as well, and that is why he told these parables in Matthew chapter 13. Because he wanted his disciples to get the answers to their questions, but more importantly, to get an understanding of what it was going to be like to live as his followers in the world until he returns. Because he said, I'm leaving. You know, he didn't, that was the plan. The, the plan was totally messed up according to their perspective. That was the mysteries of the kingdom. Part of the mystery was, hey, wait a second. He's going to be the king now. No, I'm not going to be the king now, reigning on my throne in an earthly kingdom now. No, that's not going to happen. And besides the fact, this idea of people getting into the kingdom, it's not just for you Jewish people, it's for other people as well, through the person and work of Jesus. It was blowing their minds. And he said, I want to settle it for you. He gave them insights to prepare them for life and what it would be like to be his church in the world until he came back. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you, to invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Because in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 43, Jesus is addressing believers, those who belong to Christ, and giving us uh, three insights to help us live as the church in the world until Christ returns. I'm going to read the text. It's a lengthy portion, more so, I guess, than we're used to reading. But I'm going to read it. If you would follow along with me, it would be great. Then we'll try to unpack it. Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 24. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then, tares, then the tares became evident also. And the slaves of the landowner came and they said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Meaning the tares. Get them up. Verse 29. But he said, No. Lest while you are gathering up the tares, you may root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
he presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is a smaller and this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of pecks or measures of meal until it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the multitudes, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. As, as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Therefore, just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be in the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The first insight that I think that I see from the text is basically the parable located in the parable of the wheat and the tares, which we're going to look at the expression of it, which is in verses 24 through 30, and then we're going to look at the explanation of it, which is in verses 36 and following, all together. And here we see that, surprisingly, at least to them and sometimes to us, we coexist. The followers of Jesus Christ coexist with the enemy temporarily. Temporarily. Notice how he begins in verse 24. He presented another parable. This follows the parable of the soils. Okay, Actually, the sower, the seed. In the soils. And he says this. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to. Well this introduces this parable. But a similar language. If you looked with me at verse 31. And then verse 33. You see it's either the compared to or is like. The kingdom is like. The kingdom is compared to. And here we have the first one. It's compared to wheat and tares. Wheat and mixed together. And there are three lessons for the church. I think in this parable of the wheat and the tares. And the first is this, we see the presence of the enemy. That's not the first thing we see, but that's the major thing that strikes us as important. In verse 24, the end of the verse, it says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. What does he mean? What's he talking about? Well, look down with me, if you will, at verse 37. And he answered in his explanation to the disciples about this parable, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Okay, so there's a guy who sows some seed in his field, and this is the son of man. Okay, and then verse 39, and the enemy who sowed them, oh, wait a second, verse 38, the one who sowed him is the son of man, verse 38, and the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. 
the sons of the kingdom. The son of man is Jesus' favorite self-designation. That's what he calls himself. It's a messianic title drawn from Daniel chapter 7 in which he communicates his humanity but also his humility. And the sons of the kingdom are believers. These are the people that Mark talked about last week where the seed was sown and they had the soil of their heart was fertile. And they received the seed. The seed was implanted into their heart. The seed uh, took, root, bore, took root and grew and bore fruit. Okay? These are believers. They've trusted in Christ for salvation and surrendered their lives to his rule in their heart. And it makes sense that believers are scattered throughout the world. The field that the sower sowed the seed in, this is the world. And believers are scattered throughout the world. That's to be expected. When you go to the checkout counter at the store and you're waiting in line to get checked out, especially now, you know, you got to stand here or there's a dot on the, on the floor, you know, this is where I'm supposed to stand. And when you get up actually within the, the chute, I'll call it, because that's, the, you know, the, you kind of run you down the chute there to get in your checkout. What do you see on either side of you? Candy. Magazines. Gum, trinkets, junk that you don't need. But your eye is drawn there. Is it a surprise that you see this junk? No, we're not surprised in America anymore because we know that's a trap, you know. Oh, especially if you have kids. Yeah, oh, I want some gum. Mommy, I want some candy. Daddy, can I have this? No, not expected. It should not be unexpected. It should not surprise us that in the kingdom of God, that if God is reigning in Christ in the world, from heaven, in the hearts of people, that there will be believers all over the world. And that's what we see. Loyal subjects to the king. It didn't surprise me that people, Iowa State fans, traveled down to Arizona to watch the Cyclones play in the Fiesta Bowl. It doesn't surprise me that people would do that. They're loyal subjects. Jesus, the Messiah, has loyal subjects. But here's the confusing part to the people in the first century and now sometimes to us as well. Since they believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to eliminate the wicked and he was going to reward the righteous, how is it that there was this coexistence between good people, followers of Christ, and the enemies of Christ? The wheat and the tares. How come they're there? Why are they present? Well, look at verse 25. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares also among the wheat. And went away. But when the wheat sprang up and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. Wow. Yeah. Now look at verses 38, the end of verse 38. And he says, The sons of the kingdom, these are the good seed, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are his angels. Tares are weeds. <laughs> okay? And they're weeds that look a lot like wheat. And the only way you can tell the difference of them is when they come to the fruit, when they are fully ripe. Then you can tell the difference of them. That's why he didn't want them to, to be along. So these are the unrepentant people. Okay. Sons of the evil one. Now, some of them profess, but do not possess genuine faith in Christ. In other ones, they don't, they don't care at all about Christ. They're very evident that they don't. So some are in the church, so to speak. You know, they're, they're, they're in among us. 
Can't tell them apart necessarily until the harvest, until it's ripe. The coexistence of believers and unbelievers in the world during the church age was surprising to them, is surprising and disturbing. It's like, how can this happen? If, if, if the Lord is really in charge, why is this going on in our world? It'd be like this. Uh, if I'm a Cyclone fan, it would be surprising for me to travel to Iowa City to go to Harvard, Carver Hawkeye Arena and then cheer against the Hawkeyes. They'd be like, what are you doing? And so it's like, why are these wicked people in the world if God is really in charge, if Jesus is on the throne? But Jesus revealed to the disciples, his disciples then, he reveals to us now and everyone since then, that until the end of the age, the God of this world is, per, is penetrating and working through his children in this world against us and against the kingdom. Now is not the time of judgment. We don't live in the time of judgment right now. Now is the time for evangelizing. Now is the time to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to sow the seeds of the gospel because we don't know what the condition of people's hearts is, are and we want them to hear and respond and receive Christ. <clears throat> but how are these people acting, these enemies? How do they act? I'm going to give you some verses that tell us how the sons of the evil one act. John chapter 8, verse 44 says, You are of your father the devil. That would be a great way to open a conversation with uh, your neighbor uh, who doesn't know Jesus. Uh, you're of your father the devil. I'm not suggesting you do that, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, And you want to do the desires of your father. What are those desires? Well, he was a murderer. And I'm going to just summarize. He was a murderer, and he's a liar and the father of lies. So murder and lie. Well, folks, think about what's going on. We just had two... Precious, three, precious little ones up here, and there are more, you know, the gift of life. But in the United States of America and all around the world, we murder infants in the womb in the name of women's health. Murder. Evident. Sons of the enemy. Deception. Oh, Governor Cuomo, so how, many, how many people actually died from COVID in the nursing homes? Well, we don't really tell you how many did because we're just going to keep it from you. We're lying and deception. That's part of it. Then we see in Acts chapter 13, verse 10, some other descriptions of those who are caught in this, enemies, sons of the evil one. And he said, you who are full of deceit and fraud and uh, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteous, of all righteousness, and you do not stop making crooked the straight ways of the Lord. So deceit, fraud, and enemies of righteousness. Well, where do we see that? I don't know if you're watching what's going on in, in Washington or care about what's going on in Washington, but they just passed what's called, I would say, deceptively called the Equality Act. And the Equality Act is anything but equality. It's a, an act that is an enemy of righteousness, okay? <clears throat> the people who are supporting it, I would say, are enemies of righteousness. Why do I say that? Because the Equality Act uh, promotes the murder of unborn children. The Equality Act strips and will strip 
religious freedoms away from people. The Equality Act will put on young people and young children decisions that they should not be making with regard to their identity. The Equality Act will strip away the results and threatens the issue of uh, the relationship of women, young women and children and the opportunities that they're going to have because according to the Equality Act, and this is the thing that's going to happen, is that you're going to have biological males competing with women in sports. You're going to have biological males who are going to enter into women's locker rooms and restrooms and that's going to be perfectly acceptable. Okay? So I would say this is an enemy of righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. One of the characteristics of the sons of the enemy is that they're unloving. And this is where I would uh, say that we have a, a, the perpetration of a theory, <clears throat> a critical race theory, or just critical theory in general, is unloving. Because it perpetrates ethnic hatred. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. I, maybe I'm losing you on some of this stuff, these illustrations. But basically, uh, that, that theory basically says that certain people are not to be accepted under the guise of only accepting certain other people. It's, it's damaging. And it's not pure, and it's not peaceable, and it doesn't promote peace. It doesn't promote purity. It's not loving. It's not gracious. It's not kind. It's not biblical. And this is the kind of stuff that's coming along our way. Believers, we face opposition. I don't know if you're aware of it, but if you're a child of God, the opposition is coming at you at a fast pace. Some of you may not know the name James Coates. James Coates is a pastor of a church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He's now in jail. He's in jail because James Coates decided that he was going to lead his congregation in following what they felt like was the biblical pattern of gathering as a church in contradiction to what the laws of Canada say. The Canadian laws would require that they could only have 15% capacity in their church. And he says, no, that's not the church. We're going to gather. And so they gathered, and now he's in jail. Opposition is coming. It's happening. <clears throat> this what happened. But here, this is the word I think from the Lord is don't lose heart. You can expect this. The enemy is among us, okay? But the enemy needs the Lord. The enemy is not, it's not that we're supposed to be butting heads, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. Because the only way people's hearts change is when the God of the universe comes to dwell within them, then their heart change. Transformation comes from the heart. And that's what we want to call people to. Our calling is to faithfully and consistently preach and teach against sin. Not because I'm better than the person, because I still sin. We still sin. But to preach against sin and to hold out for them the glorious good news of forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. But people don't need to be forgiven of what they don't think is a sin. But when they know that it's a sin because we point out the sin so that they can turn and be saved from what's coming, which is the next lesson we learn here, is the punishment of the enemy. Look at verse 30, if you will. It says, allow both, that is the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds, allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them and in bundles to burn them up. Now, who are the tares? Who are the weeds? Sons of the evil one. 
Look at the end of verse 38. And the tares are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Verse 39, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Verse 40, therefore just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, there are greedy, deceptive, corrupt people, sons of the evil one living among us, but we don't lose heart. Because we're reminded that a harvest of future judgment is coming in which those people will be punished and God's people will be blessed. We don't delight in the judgment, okay? Don't hear me saying that. We don't delight in the judgment. There's a tragic end. First of all, note that the evil ones are described as stumbling blocks. What does that mean? Because they cause other people to stumble over them, their lawlessness. And they engage in the same lawlessness that these people are involved in. Notice that their punishment is inevitable. The harvest is coming at the end of the age. The harvest is coming. And the pain is real. You see, the sad reality is those people who fail to turn from their sin and trust in Christ as their Savior are headed for destruction. That means torment. It doesn't mean annihilation. It means that they are going to be tormented. Unbelievers face certain, conscious, excruciating, and eternal torment. Now get that. It's conscious, excruciating, and eternal. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, Verses 10, 14, and 15, we understand and we read that Satan, his angels, and his children will experience or tormented day and night forever. How long is forever? I heard a description of forever. Let's say there's a granite stone. A thousand miles by a thousand miles by a thousand miles cubed. And every year, once a year, an eagle comes and sharpens its beak on the edge of the stone. When the stone is ground completely gone, one moment will have passed from eternity. I mean, maybe that helps, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Uh, but it's a long time. And he says, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. You know, one when one, I can't remember which one, well, I, I do know which one of our children, uh, but uh, they were very young, and I was holding them, and we were making waffles in the kitchen, and I turned, and they reached and grabbed and touched the waffle iron. Just makes you sick. The excruciating pain of that burn on their hand, and it's like, oh, Forever! Conscious eternal torment. Many will denounce today. They, oh, they, they denounce this idea of divine justice. Oh, you think God is a God of wrath and justice and, and no mercy. God is love. Well, yeah, God is love, but God is also justice. And they would, they would herald social 
called, so-called social justice, but they don't like divine justice. Well, let me tell you what, folks. Human justice is, is imperfect. But God's justice is impeccable. And it is inevitable. It's coming. It's coming. And it will not, we cannot escape it. In his justice, believers hope. As we read every morning or hear every morning on the news. Oh, the Ugar people in China or the genocides in China. We hear of terrorism. We hear of corruption. We hear of child trafficking. We hear of all of the devastation and the dishonesty and the corruption everywhere around us. And we go, it's overwhelming. But we hope in this justice that's coming. We hope that it's coming. To deal with it. And from this punishment, this justice, we hope we can help other people escape as we share with them the glorious good news of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that they're walking away from him, but if they would turn and trust in Jesus, then they would be delivered from this judgment one day. And that's the message we carry to them, that there is this one who took upon our, on himself our sins. The full wrath of God. He suffered the wrath of God for us. So that all who believe could be made right in him. 1 Peter chapter 3.18 says, Christ died for sin once for all. The just, him just, for the unjust, us. That he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He, that is God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our sin on him, so he died. His righteousness on us, so we live. All we must do is turn from our sin and trust in this Jesus personally to be delivered. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved from this wrath. So there's two responses to those of us in the kingdom to this punishment. First of all, there's an inspiration to press ahead knowing that the presence of our enemy is only temporary. It may be for our lifetime, but it's only temporary. And secondly, there's a motivation to share Christ. To extend uh, the mercy of God to those who are headed for torment. See, this is the distinguishing thing about the Christian faith. We don't delight in others' torment. We want to deliver them. We want them to be free from it. I don't delight. I don't gloat over the fact that I'm in and you're out. No, I want you in. I want you to share with me the joy of knowing Christ. And the marvelous thing is that God is patiently waiting. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. He's, he's waiting, prolonging this judgment so that more and more can be recipients of his mercy. And that's the marvelous thing. And then, so I would say to you this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you're turning from Christ, would you receive the seed of the word of God? Take it into the soil of your heart. Allow it to grow, sprout, so that a weed becomes wheat. 
Then we conclude with a prize. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun. (laughs) The radiance of God's glory for eternity as we live with him in his eternal kingdom. That's That's the promise that we have. The lawless are guaranteed the burning up of torment. The righteous, by contrast, will radiate the eternity, the eternal glory of God. That inspires us, should, in our groaning. I don't know about you. I'm kind of groaning about what's going on in the world and, uh, and things. It's just unsettling to me. I'm groaning. But Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, that we have a reason to hope because God is working it out. Second insight that we get from the text is not only can we expect that there will be enemies among us, but we can count on growth and security. And this is verses 31 and 32. The next parable is of the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Two ways that that the church in the world is like a mustard seed. First of all, we begin insignificant. Think about this. Jesus One guy, born in Bethlehem, and by the time that he left this earth and ascended into heaven, guess how many really devout followers there were in that upper room? 120. Twelve disciples, 120, gathered in in the upper room, you know. Does anybody remember when Casey's General Stores got their start? I mean, that was a long time ago. Now you drive up I-35, you see this whole big complex of, you know, Casey's warehouse and headquarters and business. We used to drive to Indiana every year. We'd drive to Indiana and, you know, we'd get out of Iowa, done with Casey's, you know. Now we go through all through Illinois, all through Indiana, Casey's every little town. Boom, boom, boom. Casey's, Casey's, Casey's. Casey's here, Casey's there, Casey's stores everywhere. The church started small. Jesus, he's the dude, and there's 12, and there are a bunch of people following him until he stopped doing miracles, then there's 120, it started small, it said the, the, the seed, though initially small, the number of people who repent and believe in Jesus will increase until the body of believers becomes vibrant and significant, so the first thing is the kingdom is insignificant, the second thing is the kingdom becomes magnificent. All right, But when it is fully grown, the text says at the end of verse 32, when it is fully grown, garden and becomes like a tree. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> mustard seed, here's a little problem. Mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. It's the smallest seed used in the Palestinian gardens. Okay, So they planted seeds in the garden. That was the smallest seed they would plant in the garden. But the seed of the Palestinian mustard seed would grow and guess what it became eight to ten feet high and birds could roost in its nest I remember the first time that I had a job and some of you will not have a clue what I'm talking about and maybe I shouldn't use this analogy but it's called walking beans okay so the in you drive around outside of Des Moines if you drive you see stuff growing in the fields in Iowa okay if it doesn't grow up and have a little yellow thing tassel and doesn't have corn on it it's probably beans Okay, they're a little shorter. They grew up about this tall. Soybeans. Well, I used to walk through the fields of the soybeans to get the weeds. This was the first 
shot at organic farming. Okay, I, I was an organic farmer when I was growing up. Uh, we were all organic farmers because we didn't have pesticides, herbicides, insecticides that would kill all that stuff. So we had to walk through and pull the bean weeds out of the beans. Okay. We walked three-quarter mile rows. No, it wasn't uphill both ways. But we walked three-quarter mile rows, and we had sunflowers. Now, I'm telling you, you, you know what, a, most of you know what a sunflower seed is, how big a sunflower seed is? It's not very big. Not the hole, not the thing you bite off to get to the seed. The seed, pretty small. Nice, salty stuff. I'm making myself hungry. Um, so you, you have a, these salty little sunflower seeds. They grow up into these huge plants. Now, the ones we had were like, the, the, the stem of them was like one to two inches in diameter. That's a pretty big, and we're supposed to pull these things or cut them down. And there were actually birds in them. I mean, they would, they would roost in these things. So here's what he's saying. It grows from the humble birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. You have 12 disciples and 120 disciples. Then on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, you have 3,000 disciples to now today millions of believers all over the world. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The smallest of all seeds. And yet when it's fully grown, it will sprout and there will be birds roosting in its nest. Folks, I have had the blessed privilege of worshiping with believers. People who put their faith or trust from Brazil from Haiti, from Hungary, from Italy, from Liberia, from Mexico, from the Congo, from Slovakia. And I could go on and on because the kingdom of God is spreading. It's growing. It's a marvelous thing. And against all the opposition. And the interesting thing is, the fiercer the opposition, the faster the growth. The fiercer the opposition, the stronger the church becomes. All growing and growing and growing. And birds of the air rest in there. It's the, this birds of the air idea it draws from the Old Testament. Okay, In, in Daniel uh, chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a bush there in Ezekiel chapter 17 and Psalm 34. And it's communicating this, that the church of Jesus Christ, the, the kingdom of God, of heaven on earth is in this church age is having an influence so that it becomes tall like a tree where birds roost in its nest that provides provision, protection, and, and, and safety. In the desert in the Middle East, you wanted a tree. You wanted shade. You wanted a tree because a tree would produce fruit. You had something to eat. If you're a bird, you want a tree so you can get up in the roost and nest. And so the church of Jesus Christ provides a blessing of refuge and rest, not only to believers, but unbelievers. Think about this, folks. It's the church of Jesus Christ that has brought the greatest advances in, in higher education, in educational. Do you know that most of the major colleges on the, in the Ivy League colleges were first started so people could learn to read the Bible? And theological training. Oh, how far we've gone. I mean, we're talking Harvard and Princeton and Yale. William and Mary. All these colleges were started by devout Christian people so that people would learn to read and study and know the Bible. Think about the provision of health care. 
Most major health networks in this entire country originally began as Christian mission organizations. And around the world, the same thing is true. Think about what has happened with regard to the promotion and the protection of any marginalized group in, in, the, in the world. Whether it's women, whether it's orphans, widows, children. It's the church of Jesus Christ that is on, has been on the front lines of improving their condition. This is the work of the world. Economically, educationally, materially, the church of Jesus Christ is the one working to make things better for people, for human flourishing, because that's why God created us, is to provide human flourishing in the world. I think about our, 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 our gang that, that heads to Haiti. Peon Haiti has improved education has improved health care, has a better standard of living, has better economic well-being because of the name of Jesus. Because believers in the Lord Jesus Christ went there with a heart to help. Yeah, we do some harm <laughs> along the way, but the, the thrust is to help. And this is the mustard seed growing. And becoming a refuge, a tree, a provision in the world. The last thing we see, not only is there this coexistence that's kind of a, a conundrum to us, but a reality. Not only is there this, this celebration of significant growth and security, but there is a celebration that growth comes internally first, and then inevitably, and finally completely. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, verse 33. <laughs> First thing you think about if you're a Bible scholar when you think about leaven is sin. Not here. This is the influence of God's work in the world through his people. And a little yeast, that's what leaven is, is yeast. Okay, for those of you who know how to cook stuff, I'm not a big uh, chef or anything, but I do know that yeast causes the bread to rise, okay? And so that's the idea. If you put a little bit of yeast in in, in it says three measures of flour. It's about a bushel, okay? The yeast does its work so that there's enough bread dough created to feed 150 people. That's the comparison in this analogy. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of stuff. You see, here's the deal. The picture is of the advance of the kingdom, of God's work in the world. It's the advance of it. And first of all, the kingdom begins in the seed of a person's heart. That was Pastor Mark waiting for him to look at me. Elder Mark, last week, okay, he was preaching about the sowing of the seed, okay? And when the seed does its work internally, then guess what? The seed begins to grow. The, the gospel begins to infiltrate us so that it affects our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions and our affections. And it changes who we are. And then, secondly, it doesn't stop there. Okay, the parable reveals that God's rule and is, is subtle and it's spreading through believers' lives, but through believers' lives into other people's lives. And then as it affects those people's lives into other people's lives until eventually it spreads throughout the entire world so that the world is impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the globe so that everywhere on the globe we're influenced by and or enter into the kingdom of God whereby they turn from their sin and they would, they would trust Christ. Uh, Marla made uh, some of her grandma's potato rolls for Thanksgiving. 
Okay? Put the yeast in, mixed up the dough, set the bread out on the counter, and the yeast did its stuff, you know, infiltrated the whole thing. The kingdom of God is infiltrating all through us. So in both the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, the faithful witness of the believer and the mysterious movement, the work of the Spirit of God combined together so that it propels the subtle and significant growth of the kingdom until Christ returns, even though we don't see it. You know, there are hotbeds where the gospel is spreading rapidly like wildfire, but, you know, we don't see it necessarily. Kingdom's truth provides me. It provided the apostles. It provides me. It provides us with assurance that, hey, the kingdom of heaven is not going to fail, and the kingdom of the enemy will not prevail. Okay? This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The church will advance, and the kingdom of this world will not hem it in. It will advance. And then, what to make assurance of this, uh, Matthew quotes Asaph in Psalm 72. And basically reiterates this idea that the parables are told to reveal the hidden things of the old, the past, to people who are sinful people who've been redeemed. You're hearing it and understanding it because you've been redeemed, even though you're a rebel. <laughs> but that's Psalm 72. You were, you were rebels and you heard the gospel, but God is gracious and patient and giving it to you anyway. The hidden mysteries of the kingdom revealed to God's people. The story is told of Lord Kelvin. He was a scientist and he, he or a person, he hung a, a big sheet of metal from the ceiling. Okay? And then he took little spitballs, okay, little pea-sized pieces of paper. And he, you know, this big, huge piece of metal. And he threw one, well, the impact of one little pea-sized piece of paper on that metal was pretty insignificant. But he was meticulous about it. Just kept firing them at that little, that big piece. Little, little peas, big piece of metal. Pretty soon, guess what happened? The metal started to, started to move just ever so slightly. And he just kept, and the metal started moving a little bit more and a little bit more. Why? It wasn't the one pea that did it. It was the persistence, the persistence, the persistence of the little pea-sized pieces of paper. And eventually that thing started to move. In the same way, the kingdom of God is advancing. Little by little, inch by inch, it's moving, growing, demonstrating how there are a handful of people that greatly outnumbered by the opposition as we are. The church is growing steadily, subtly, surely, until it reaches the place of significance and then God says, okay, it's time, and he calls us home. So if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you're one of these tares, you're a weed, you recognize that you're not trusting in Christ and fully following in his direction, you're a rebel at heart, my call to you is, folks, repent. Repent and, and, and receive Christ as your Savior and avoid. The only thing you have promised in this text is judgment. And we want you to avoid that. And you can if you turn and trust in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here's the deal. Recognize that this side of glory, we coexist with the enemy. 
I cannot tell you how disheartened I was this week to hear that Bethany Christian Services has now opened up their adoption agency to all of the, everybody in the LGBTQ plus uh, crowd so that anybody can adopt a, a child. And I say that because God's design is that children be raised. Like you saw this morning. That's God's design. And so anything short of that is, is disheartening. Rejoice or recognize that, that that's where we live. Then rest in the fact that despite the opposition seemingly increasing and the gospel seemingly not having the influence we want it to, God is in charge and the end is coming and he will take care of it in the end. See, now is not the time for, uh, for us to, to have judgment. It's the time for us to share the gospel. And that's the next thing. Relate the message of salvation and finally rejoice. Hey, there's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. Lord, help me. Help me keep my eyes fixed more on heaven than I am on this earth. Lord, help us to live now in light of eternity and not let the things of this world douse our fire. We want help to help people escape from judgment and to enjoy a life with Christ. And as we, as we take the elements of communion, which is our practice, the bread and the cup, which are symbols of his body broken and his blood shed, it reminds us that entrance into this family is possible to escape the judgment and enter the family through what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary so many years, years ago. And so if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we'd invite you to take a moment or two, to search your heart, confess your known sin, and then Take the, the bread and the cup as a reminder and rejoice in what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. God, I, I know that it's hard for me to live in the reality that the enemy coexists. I just want the kingdom of God in its full, final realm now. But God, you are patiently drawing people to yourself and help us to see that you've blessed us with the privilege of being part of that blessed us with the opportunity to share Christ with people. Give us courage to live now in this disheartening, groaning experience and help us to live for you and for your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.